As I said, it was one of those weeks I was sitting in my office at 2 p.m. yesterday looking at an entire sermon without a conclusion and it's staring back at me. And I mean, the text was there, but it felt empty. And when that happens, I feel like it's because the Lord wants to say something else. And I believe He wants to give us Psalm chapter 2 today. If you have a Bible, I ask you to turn to Psalm 2. And why don't we stand for the reading of that? So if, please stand and let's read and hear the word of the Lord together. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, and today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, sometimes you speak to us in words that make us understand um, working out our salvation in fear and trembling. Heard one pastor say sometimes we take ourselves too seriously and we take God not serious enough. Father, help us to hear your voice in these words, to understand why you say these things the way you do. Help us to enter in emotionally the emotions that your spirit wants to prompt in us. Help us to be willing to be vulnerable before you. Help us to take away what it is you desire to say today. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The kings will shut their mouths in awe. A reference to what Jim read for us earlier this morning from Isaiah 53. The thrust of that line from Isaiah and the thrust I feel every time I I read this psalm, Psalm chapter 2, which I've read it a lot throughout 2020 and 2021 it's one of the few times where I feel like God takes the, the prophetic, almost snarky, condescending voice. Because God hates sin. He hates sinners plotting sin. And the worst sinners of all is the people Jesus used most, most breath on, the self-righteous sinners who think they're right. 
That's the tone I feel this passage is in, so I think that's the tone you're going to hear today. And the first point as this psalm opens up is plan your worst. Right? Like, let's have it. Go ahead. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Sinners devoid of God think they have a tendency of thinking that they're pretty special. (laughs) They're something. They're, whoo, look at us. We got it. Nobody can stop us. I'm reminded of Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, and what were the forward-thinking, societally progressing, self-righteous, we're pretty special sinners doing then. Genesis 11.4, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Man, aren't they something? And I love how God told Moses to write God's part in. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. You hear that? Came down like... The people on earth are like, roar, here's our tower. We're going to make it happen. And meanwhile, the picture is God's like, what's that speck of dirt in the crack of ground down there? Let me get my magnifying glass out. (laughs) And when God realizes that the puny sinners are strutting their stuff, many believe God uses Trinitarian language here when he says in verse 7 of that chapter, come, let us go down. Right? The... Their plans for big heavenward up tower has gotten nowhere. Why do the nations rage and peoples plot in vain? Any of you ever feel like sinister deeds are being plotted? Like I'm not buying into super conspiracy theories, but I also know somehow Hitler came to power. Somehow Stalin came to power. Somehow Mao Zedong came to power. And, and if, and God wants to orient our heart to view it this way. If nations are raging and if peoples are plotting, it's in vain. It's in vain. Out of the gate, you need to hear that. It's in vain. People can plan their worst. In fact, I dare them to because it will be in vain. God taunts them and get rights to the point, he says, let's throw off all the subtleties. He says, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Burst their bonds, basically a metaphor for revolt. Let's kick back against God and his anointed. Let's throw off his rulership. Now this is likely David writing worrying about his own kingdom in Psalm 2, but biblically and messianically speaking, the psalm is used by the apostles to refer to Christ and how the world plotted against him at the cross. Whether it be the anointed king of Israel, the Messiah, or God's kingdom, plan your worst, nations and peoples, but your plotting is in vain. Do you know that today? Any of you like me look around and say, hmm, wonder if I should be worried. 
Where are things headed? If there is any sinister plotting taking place, how's that going to end? If they plan their worst, it'll end in vain. In fact, as all the dark, deep, well-thought-out, super-serious smirking, we got this all thought through, all planned out, it's going to go our way, it's an airtight job, while all those guys meet together and plot their super-sinister power-grabbing schemes, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. I love that. I don't know if it's very Christian of me, but I love that. It's in the Bible. If there are people right now plotting great evil, the Lord is laughing at them. Hey, John, Paul, Peter, come here. Look at this. Look at the little sinners. They think they got a plan. Are they serious? God laughs and holds super dark, plotting, evil, scheming sinners in derision. Mockery, ridicule. Why is God laughing? Well, what about the victims of all these plotting evildoers? What about the potential destruction or harm that they will cause? What about then, the psalmist writes, He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. We have a king. There is a sovereign far above, far high, superior, transcendent, and a thousand times more authoritative, more powerful, more in charge than any human leader would ever dream to be. His name is King Jesus. Yes, He is the Savior, but He is Christ the Lord. God Almighty, God Maker of heavens and earth says, I have set my King. In other words, I have placed a person in charge Super sinister plan making little lowercase kings. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And what this means post new covenant, now that the entire revelation of God has been delivered in the Bible, is that it's King Jesus. And Zion, his holy hill, is his church. We are the new Jerusalem. The Christ who reigns over his church also reigns over the world. You and I are part of the kingdom of God, and that is over all the kings of the world. But God is not just saying, hey, I have a bigger king chess piece here. (laughs) But he's promised a fearful thing for those who'd make their sinister plots in vain. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. You know what I wanted as a child in my house if I feared monsters or burglars? I wanted a more terrifying dad that would chase them away. (laughs) King Jesus knows wrath. He knows fury. Revelation 19, verse beginning with verse 11. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and with a loud voice 
He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it a false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And of all the birds, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. If you're worried today that somehow all the dark, sinister, plottings that might be going on if they're going to get away from with it not this king not this king he laughs at them and holds them in derision because he will have the last word he will make sure you terrorize my people you think that's okay vengeance is mine and recompense For the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining bond or free. Then he will say, where are their gods? The rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection." See now that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Deuteronomy 32, 35-39 This Lord reigns. This Lord is in charge. The Lord has come already. That's the next point of Psalm, verse 7. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Paul quotes this in Acts 13.33 on his first missionary journey, stating that this is Jesus. The author of Hebrews, also thought to be Paul, quotes this in lifting up the supremacy of Jesus in Hebrews 1.5. This King of God on Zion, on God's holy hill, has come to us, in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. The ruler came in the most humblest of places, and from day one, he's had petty little lowercase kings running mad. Mary, his mother, says, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down uh, the mighty from their thrones and has exalted those of humble estate. King Herod, at the birth of Jesus, was so disturbed by him that he aborts every baby to and under in the village where Jesus was born. When King Jesus was baptized, we read, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. God Almighty recognizes Jesus as his Son. The Lord said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Sometime before his final week on earth, Jesus is accompanied by Peter, James, and John up a mountain. The first bizarre thing is that Moses and Elijah, who existed hundreds of years prior, are there. Didn't expect that. The second spectacular thing, though, is when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. The heavens 
are constantly declaring the authority of this Jesus who walked the earth. He has come. He has showed his, shown his sovereignty, his rulership, and his right to claim the world when he died and rose again. Nobody else can say they've done that. Paul says it magnificently to the Ephesians that God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This King Jesus has come. He's walked among us. He has conquered the grave, showing that he is indeed God's king on his holy hill. Jesus knew this about himself. Before he went the second time, (laughs) ascended, he had his sights set on the world. And he says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe that I have what I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The King of Kings, who has authority over all the earth, rules and reigns. He is seated on the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and is above every name. This king has come. He has walked among us and he has stepped onto his kingdom. The psalmist declares, speaking on behalf of God, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And you might be saying, I see how all of this refers to Jesus, but I do not see how he has broken the nations with a rod of iron and dashed them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's a smart observation of yours. It means it's still coming. (laughs) It means that this prophecy is a warning for all those who would plot their plots in vain and try to wage war against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I believe we get a foreshadow of this a partial fulfillment of this in 70 AD when Jesus himself warned the unbelieving Jews. We're told by the gospel writer Luke in his 19th chapter, verses 41 through 44, it says right after Jesus comes in on the donkey, it says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you had known on this day, the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem is annihilated. The temple is torn to the ground. Blood runs through the streets like rivers. Bodies are piled up. A horrific war. And what this points to is this, that the Messiah has come the first time. The ruler who sits in Zion's holy hill has come. He has ran kings mad. He has forewarned unbelievers of the wrath to come. And wrath has come. And so the point is not for the sinful, scheming, power-hungry plotters to say, well, glad that's over with. Rather, it's a sign, it's a warning 
that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords means business. He's come once to prove it. The author of Hebrews says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Christ has dealt with sin. He's made a way of salvation. That means anybody anybody creeped out by the tone in this psalm has a way out under the wrath of God. People need not die in their sins. Yes, God laughs and holds in derision those who plot stupid things against an all-knowing, all-sovereign God. They're doing so also in the face of an all-loving God who says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Ezekiel 18.23 So we need to hear this. And the ungodly, conspiring, sinister plot planners need to hear this. This is not God on a power trip, laughing nervously, hoping what he says is true. This is a God who means what he says, and it's ultimately a plea that says, bend your knee. It's a stupid man who hears God declaring his sovereignty, his kingship, his rulership for that person to then scoff and say, well, the nerve. I mean, can he say that? Yeah, he's God. (laughs) Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Do you fathom that? The kings are being called to account (laughs) The rulers are being summoned. This is the proverbial principal being dragged into the principal's principal's office. This is Biden, Trudeau, Your Majesty the Queen, Prime Minister Johnson. You've been summoned to the king's office. Public kings, public rulers, private, would-be rulers trying to plot in vain. They must be wise. And they are warned by the king of kings, the king that you serve and you know personally. That's your king. Don't miss the weight of the first Christian's confession. Jesus is Lord. They would say in a society where Caesar was Lord. No, 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 no. King Jesus is Lord. He is your Lord. Listen, Christian. King Jesus is your Lord. You need to own that. Look at what Biden's doing. Look at what Trump did. Look at what Governor Little is doing. King Jesus is my Lord. The Lord You know him, the one we've been talking about today, the one in which God said, I have set my king. (laughs) And thank God he's not any of the names I just floated by you, but King Jesus. Christ the Lord who has come, walked the earth, died, rose again and proves that he deserves every ounce of my loyalty. It is that king, King Jesus, in which God declares, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled, and blessed are all who take refuge in him. It is a good thing that the king who owns you, the king who bought you, the king who saved you, the king who is faithful to you, wants your faithfulness in return and demands this in return. The king's wrath who is quickly Kindled? That King Kevin? Yes, because he is a king who will deliver. He is the dad more terrible and terrifying than any robber or monster who seeks you out. 
He is the king who is never blind, deaf, or stupid to the nation's raging. He is never blind, deaf, or stupid to the people's plotting. In fact, they make their plots in vain because their plots will not thwart the king of kings. Indeed, the kings of the earth are setting themselves and their rulers are taking counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed at great peril. By their doing so, they're effectively laying the wood before their sovereign whose wrath is quickly kindled. No, they must kiss the son. They must take refuge in him. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, 10 through 11. People can plan their worst, but even so the Lord reigns. The Messiah has come and everybody must bend the knee. Amen? Let's pray. Father, many of us talking about myself primarily, are stupid enough to read the news every day but not read your word every day. Help us to read your word more and if we can fit the news in on a random morning for five minutes, great. But Father, who's directing the affairs of this world? It's not the news. People think they're doing it. You are. You're sovereign. You're the King of Kings. You're the Lord of Lords. Father, you saw this fire season back in 1803, even further before. You saw the election we had before the world was laid. You know how everything's going to end. You saw the formation of America. Maybe you've seen the destruction of America. But even so, your kingdom keeps growing. Your kingdom will last forever. And that's the king that, kingdom that we are a part of. Help us to trust in you because you're trustworthy. Help us to not believe that bad guys are going to get away with bad things. Help us to know that we serve, yes, a loving, personable God, but we also serve a fearful, wrathful God who knows the right time when judgment is. Thank you for providing a way out of the wrath of God. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.